recorded live in the Ventasmo Lounge high atop the John Lacey building in beautiful Midtown Portsmouth, Virginia. It's Phantasmo After Dark with your host, Rob Floyd, and special guest co-host, Commodore Tony Mercer. Well, it's 1969, okay? <laughs> we got a war across the USA. Taste the Blood of Dracula comes out of the UK. It's set during the night, but they shot it in the day. <laughs> And I'm going to keep doing this until you say, <laughs> welcome to the old podcast, everybody. <laughs> Our topic tonight is Taste the Blood of Dracula, <laughs> in case you couldn't guess. <laughs> and Tony's back. Hey, Tony. Hi. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that that sets the tone for the rest of the podcast is <laughs> our attitude towards uh, towards this one. I have a little fun with this one. Uh, it's I like it. I was trying to have some fun, folks. You know, I watched it again last night. I hadn't watched it in a while. And I enjoy, I enjoyed every bit as much as I you know as I've done the previous times I watched it, but I didn't remember how little Christopher Lee is actually in it yeah. as Dracula. Yeah, there's a reason for that. Oh yeah, yeah. We, we'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, I think he's in this one just slightly more than he's in AD seventy two. But you know, and it's, it's kind of funny because jump well jumping right into why he's not in it as much. You know, he he got to a point where he he was reluctant to play Dracula again because he'd done it a couple times, and you know, I guess like Connery with Bond, you know, and didn't want to. I don't know if typecasting that or just didn't want to play Dracula anymore. Didn't feel like there was anything more to be done with it. For somebody that was reluctant to do it, this year that this came out, he played Dracula three other times (laughs) in three (laughs) other movies that came out the same year. Another one was Satanic Rites or Scars or. Dracula's Vampire Brides, whatever you want to call it. It's not the same year. Came out in seventy, I thought. No, didn't. No, that's scars. We, didn't we come out in seventy. Oh, scars. Well, you said taste that. You t- said uh, in satanic Rites, satanic scars. Right. It's not one? the same movie. No. What was the other title? It was Dracula's Vampire Brides and Satanic Rites of Dracula and Satanic Rites. I thought, why am I thinking Scars and Satanic Rites was the same movie? I don't know. Why were you? I don't know. And I think, anyway, I think taste. Like, I think taste the blood is. Um, okay. What. Well, Saints of Blood came out 69 or 70? 69. 69? Think back to my musical introduction. That's true. That's true. I just thought you'd messed up. (laughs) No. Okay. Well, when you Google it, it says 70. But when you look on the back of the Blu-ray box, Uh it says 69. Okay. So I wonder if they... uh, And I still very much think of this as a 60s... It doesn't feel like Dracula picture. It's it's very much the last of them. Yeah. or, Or a bridge between the two, even. And it was one of the first, if I'm not mistaken, one of the first Hammer films. Okay, so June seventh, nineteen seventy, is the U.S. release date. I wonder if it was released. Ah, and the British release date sixty nine. Before probably. then, okay, that that would make sense. Or shot in sixty nine, yeah. and maybe you know all the copyright stuff was established in sixty nine. Yeah. That's why it says copyright nineteen sixty nine on the back of the box. Yeah. Well, anyway, going back, I was saying, you know, Christopher Lee, he did Scars then that came out. Right about the same time. And Count Dracula, that pseudo-documentary, well, it wasn't a Hammer film, I don't think. And I want to say there was one other one he did. You said that Count Dracula, the, the pseudo-documentary? Yeah, wasn't that the one where he, he was more? He looked more like Dracula from the book? He had the mustache and the... You're thinking of, uh, of Jess Franco's Didn't Dracula. that come out the same year? Jess Franco's Count Dracula. Yeah. Uh, I do believe you are correct. For somebody who was reluctant to do it, he f- jumped right back in the saddle pretty quick, so... Money talks. Uh, no, 69. 
Yeah, okay. okay. 69 for Count Dracula, just Franco's Count Dracula. Okay, okay. So maybe this it was the U.S. release date then when I was looking it up is what they showed. Well, we got off to a fine start yeah. here. But anyway. And if you're thinking, you know, I could have looked all this up myself. Yes, you could have, but, you, yeah. you know, it's so much sweeter to hear <laughs> our dulcet tones. <laughs> yeah, baby. Remember when we used to have to remember this stuff, like from books that we read? Oh, yeah. And I used to remember it from books that I yeah. read, too. But now I'm old. Well, still, I still and remember. And the internet has made me dumb. Yeah, I still remember most of it. It's just... <laughs> I lose more and more stuff every year. Dude, well, yeah, that happens. That's why we record it like this, so we can have a, a record of it. For future generations, we're doing this for you. You're welcome. Yes, he didn't want to do it no more. And it's a good thing that he insisted on uh, not doing... I mean, eventually he would Oh yeah. stop playing Dracula, but that probably had more to do with Hammer going under than it did with him <laughs> yeah. having the courage of his convictions and not taking the paycheck. And it's a good thing he finally got out of the Dracula role, because think about all the fine, fine films <laughs> he, did after he went on to make after. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, would we have I'm ever think, gotten to see Christopher Lee play Petruchio had it not been? Or the devil in the pilot for the Sammy Davis Jr. TV show, Poor Devil. That's something to look up, folks. Jack Klugman, Christopher Lee, Sammy Davis Jr. Yes, it was going to be a TV show about the devil. <laughs> and the less said about that, the better. I apologize for how much time we've spent on the 69 versus 70 discussion already. <laughs> and maybe we'll get lucky and Phyllis will edit this down some and uh, and spare us and save us. But I swear... If you just Google Taste the Blood of Dracula, it says release 1970. But if you look a little deeper, you'll see trailers marked as 1969 and then, oh, another, okay. and then other trailers marked as 1970. Yeah. So it has to have something to do with when it was released where. And I guess yeah. we're getting the U.S. release uh, a year. Why do I care? Because I'm trying to save the gag at the beginning, which is long <laughs> forgotten at this point because we've now spent 10 minutes talking about <laughs> if it was 1969, okay, war across the USA. And, and we still... Or if it was 1970, which is far less musical, I have to say, than 1969. Now, speaking of trailers, <laughs> which you just brought like, up. What would second. you do musical with 1970? I mean, you know, uh, well, it's 1970 and we could use a little brevity as we discuss. Uh, that's That didn't even, there's no. not a glimmer across no. Rob's face if you could see him right now. No. That didn't fly. Well, isn't that when the Beatles broke up? 70? I yeah. don't know when you can officially say the Beatles broke up. Is yeah. that before or after they sh threw shit through Paul's uh, window? You know? well, I mean, I'd I, say I when, after, right after Let It Be came out. Anyway. Were they officially still together when uh, McCartney 1 came out? I think they were, right? I think so, yeah. So that's 70? Yeah, so yeah. it's like 70, 71, something like that. Yeah. Anyway. But talking about the trailer, though. You <laughs> speaking of McCartney speaking 1, of what a underrated record. <laughs> I like it a lot. <laughs> We know, Maybe he, I'm amazed at the way you taste the blood of Dracula <laughs> all the time. Didn't McCartney meet Christopher Lee? Anyway. Oh, so Christopher Lee's on the cover of uh, oh, Band right. yeah, on the Run. Yeah, so he knew him. So that's how it relates. See? It all comes around. Have you seen those pictures of... Uh, uh, I only found this out recently. Have you seen those pictures of Jack and Ross Kirby backstage at a wing yeah. show with Paul and Linda? Yeah. How amazing is that? Yeah, and the, the art he drew of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. how amazing oh, is that? That was, that was cool as hell. Does Jack, Jack got around? People... Important people knew. What movie are we talking about? <laughs> Taste the Blood. Oh, yeah. Of Dracula. So, after watching the movie the other night, I watched the trailer. And like a lot of trailers, it almost takes you in a little different direction than the movie does. Not that much, but it does lead you to think the movie is more exciting 
than it ends up being. Like, there's more action going on in it than there actually is in the movie. The trailer's pretty good. Not saying the movie's bad. You know, I enjoyed the film, especially the first, I want to say maybe the first third of it, is pretty solid, and it starts to slow down a little bit. What you're almost saying to me right now, effectively, is that yes. the movie's better before Dracula shows up. <laughs> Well, I was going to get into that as we go along. Well, he doesn't show up. He doesn't show up till like the 45 or or 50 minute mark, right? Yeah. yeah. And one of the reasons Well, no, he you get a you get a you know, he appears at the beginning. You got yeah, a little prequel, a little pre the pre yeah, the, yeah. the pre-title sequence. Yeah. And then he doesn't show up again till like the 45 or 50 minute mark. So it's basically sort of like gets the Godzilla treatment here, right? Yeah. Where he shows up at the beginning and then you got to wait at least half an hour to see him again. Yeah. And the pre-title thing is cool because it ties it into the previous movie. Like a, this is a direct sequel. Yeah. Not, okay, we got to, you know, weasel our way into figuring out how he comes back from that and loosely from the previous movie. Like, in a, you know, a lot of stuff like that. This one is like minutes after that or not even minutes after, during the last movie, this one starts. So that's kind of cool. I like that aspect of it. And I like how it starts out with the three guys who form this little alliance or supposedly don't really know each other, but they have this little secret club trying to experience pleasures and all this stuff. And that whole bit where they go into the, the brothel in the bad part of time, but it's hidden in this soup kitchen. By, you know, That whole secretive aspect of it is kind of different and unique. I want to say from the previous films, as far as taken out of it, just being a Dracula film, you know what I mean? Yeah. And the original idea for the film, which, you know, wasn't going to have Dracula in it at all. Yeah. It was just going to have the title kind of like Brides of Dracula, which is one of the better Hammer films, Brides of Dracula. Yeah. Hands down. Across the board, I think everybody can agree on that. Well, there's always somebody. Well, you know, yeah, I'm not going to get into <laughs> like our previous lunch conversation. But the original idea for this film, I, I think, would have been a good film on its own. I think it would have been, could have been really interesting where the three guys in the society who are, was it Jeffrey Keene? Isn't that his name? Yeah. John Carson. John Carson, who's fantastic. Yeah. John Carson's good in everything I've seen him in. Yeah. And playing vastly different characters, too. Yep. And just, boom, solid actor. Jeffrey Keene always playing the same kind of asshole authoritative guy but does it so well yeah, oh he's, you know? yeah, he's very good at that because <laughs> he was the british colonel or something in scarecrow scarecrow romney marsh yeah he and he has a recurring role in the bond series as a like a minister of defense mm. i think that's right yeah yeah always a stuffy you know upper crust guy and i can't remember the third guy but anyway these three guys seeking out these experiences they run into ralph bates who's uh lord court what, courtly yeah courtly and Bates just chewing the scenery like a <laughs> well, champ. Bates doing what uh, what Bates does best. Yeah, you know I have uh, in my notes here. I wrote Ralph Bates does everything chin first. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. He leads with his chin and loving every minute of it. Yeah, I love at the beginning where he's just kind of oh everything's beneath him. But then when they show an interest and want to go after these experiences, and he's just like loses his mind with this intensity of. Chewing the scenery like he hadn't had a meal in a week. By the way, the third guy in the trio of Victorian gentlemen who turn out to be, you know, thrill seeking Hellfire Club members or whatever. Yeah. Is uh, Peter Salas, who was the voice of Wallace and Wallace and Gromit, at least in the movie. Oh, wow. Apparently. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Anyhow. Anyhow. He's no John Carson. No, no. (laughs) And we can talk about Carson a little bit. We'll just go off on him. 
but the the original plot, like I said, these guys, it, it follows along pretty much yeah. the way it does up until after they meet Courtly, and he says, you want to experience above beyond experiences, I can give you if you sell your soul to the devil. And they're like, yeah, okay, you know, here's a buck fifty. And <laughs> they get the, they go and they buy the Dracula cloak and the cape clasp and the ring and the vial of blood. And so they meet courtly the next night at this deconsecrated abandoned church where he set up this altar, this devil worship altar, and they're going to go through the ceremony to drink Dracula's blood, which then is supposed to give them some experience that they don't really say exactly what. At this point, the way the original story differs from what happened in the film is instead of courtly dying and being reincarnated or whatever is Dracula, Dracula taking him over, he was just going to be, I guess, possessed by Dracula or become a vampire and himself. He's supposed to become a vampire. From drinking the blood. Dracula, other, other than his appearance in the pre-title sequence, Dracula wasn't supposed to be yeah. in the movie. Because the pre-title sequence, that, that was taken from the previous yeah, it was film. Yeah, it was direct footage. So that. they could have just used that and not had Lee in the movie at all aside from that. And the idea was that Courtly was going to be, he was literally going to taste the blood of Dracula. Yeah, and then and he become would a vampire, become a vampire. And he was going to be yeah. the vampire in from in Hammer from then on was yeah. the plan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so Ralph Bates is an interesting case because Hammer taps him to basically take over from Christopher Lee as their primary vampire yeah. beginning here with taste the blood of Dracula. And then that doesn't work out as you were saying, because apparently the American distributor would not carry the film without Lee. in it. Yeah. So, wouldn't, wouldn't put any money behind it at yeah. all. So they had Lee to was make some last minute changes and write Lee a check to get him to come in and, uh, which, and take over. Which then again makes sense that he's not in it that much because they had to rewrite the script to write him in it. Yeah. So. And uh, back to Bates for a second. Yeah. Like I said, he was tapped to be the next Christopher Lee, but then Christopher Lee comes back. And then he was tapped to be the next Peter Cushing as Frankenstein. Yeah. But Peter Cushing comes back. So they were grooming him to be their next big horror star yeah. in their key roles, but he kept getting bump aside, bumped aside for the classic guys, you know, yeah. the real stars. Which, God bless him. Yeah, well, we want to see Christopher Lee on screen. We want to see Peter Cushion on screen. Yeah, I, I, I would have like, liked to have seen this story how it was originally written. Well, th this movie is, on the whole, this movie is a pretty girl with a club foot. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it's, it's actually... <laughs> It's actually pretty good in a lot of ways. It's it's yeah, it it's is. well shot. It is. It's interesting. I mean, it actually is more interesting before Dracula shows up. I mean, you've been talking about yeah. the what I call the Hellfire Club guys. Yeah, you know. exactly. Well, that's pretty much what they were. Yeah. Yeah, and so you know, it's this whole thing where they are living behind this veneer of Victorian morals, and they're you know upstanding members of the community. Mm -hmm. And the film opens after the titles uh, with them coming out of church Sunday morning. And Not acknowledging each that they know each like other. Like they know each other. Yeah. And you get to see their young adult children who there's apparently interdating, you know, the yeah. girls with the boys and the whatnot. Which becomes important to the story as of course the young attractive cast are the ones that uh are the primary victim pool for Dracula once he becomes resurrected, yeah. you know. But uh, Jeffrey Keane as Hargood is, as we talked about before, really good at being a jerk and making you hate him. So he berates his daughter for the mildest possible flirtation with her boyfriend for outside smiling. the churchyard, yeah. you know. Yeah. And says, says she's acting like a harlot in God's house, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. And... <laughs> 
<laughs> and I really liked that whole sequence out outside the church at the beginning because yeah. it very quickly sort of introduces you to all of our principles and oh yeah, it does show it well. you who's who and, and what the relationships are and and all that sort of thing. Yeah, it does a really good job with that. So you have the three of them with the image of propriety, but then behind the scenes, I mean, that same Sunday night, they have their monthly gathering at the yeah. brothel that you talked about and get up into all sorts of debauchery. So, Which, speaking of that sequence, yeah, did you catch who's sitting on his knee? Yeah, Madeline Smith. Not just sitting on his knee, because then you get that bit where like he's down she on all dialogue. fours and she's yeah. riding him like a horse. Which is pretty great. Yeah, billed as Maddie Smith. Hargood the horse. Oh, Madeline Smith. Mm. So yeah, again, all this stuff is uh, is really well put together. Very nice set decoration all through the picture. I have to say, a lot of oh yeah, color and texture and uh, interesting and engaging on its own. Bates to me is really at his best in it. I mean, choose the scenery the entire time, as you said, because that's what Ralph Bates does. You well, know, not chin so, first. He but. does not so much when he's first introduced, when he's being kind of a smooth and above everything. He's not chewing it so much there because he's acting, he's acting like uh, he's you know he doesn't care about anybody or anything except you over here. Well, it's still pretty big though. It, it's it's it it's small in a big way. Yeah, you know. But once they get to dinner and he starts talking about the experience, then yeah. it's. They can't get a word in because he's just. Rah. That's the thing that I was actually going to say yeah. is that he is more interesting in the lower key on the bait scale anyway. <laughs> the bait scale. There you go. In the brothel. <laughs> then he is once you get into the whole let's talk about devil worship and Dracula yeah. stuff. So whether or not it's simply a case of the movie being more interested in some of its subject matter than it is in yeah. vampires or whether or not it is simply a case of. The air goes out of it when they had to do the swap between Bates and Lee just on the basis of the fact that they had a short time to make that change. It's hard to say. I mean, Lee, for his part, he doesn't have any lines. He doesn't have a whole lot to say, but he, he still just cuts such a great, oh yeah, great, great figure. And they do an awesome job. The, the lighting in the film is really, uh -huh. really nice. They do a great job lighting him and just giving him that when they cut back incredible, that, imposing presence yeah. and all that. They cut back to that iconic shot like three times. Of like looking up from the ground at him, just standing there with the cloak around him, like it also yeah. almost like the, the entrance shot. They cut back to that two more times, I think, during the film. And even though it's pretty much the same shot, you're still like, oh, it's just the, the presence, you know, and the imposingness of it. It's just like that's awesome. I'd like to see that again, please. Thank you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Whereas if it was anybody else, you'd go, oh, God, they're doing this again. You know? yeah. So. Courtly Bates is supposed to be our vampire, as we said. They go to the old courtly crypt, family crypt, and they uh, taste the blood of Dracula. And they're all supposed to taste it. Yeah, but he's well, the only, only Courtly one will do it. And they Courtly's sort of out. choking on it and and be gasping and begging for help. And the three assholes kick him to death. Basically, yeah, they start freaking out, like "Get away from me!" and start yeah. kicking him. And the mob rule. They all start jumping in and beating him with their canes and kicking him and freaking out. And then run off and leave him for dead. Yeah. So I guess what's supposed to happen is he's supposed to be transformed into a vampire by the blood of Dracula. But instead, because of the change, he's transformed into Dracula. So yeah. he, he turns into Christopher Lee. And again, what's supposed to happen is Courtly, the vampire, seeks revenge on the Hellfire Club because they murdered him effectively and they betrayed and murdered him. Yeah. Right. Makes sense. But what happens <laughs> yeah. instead is that you get the resurrected Dracula standing proudly and imperiously 
And his first line is, they destroyed my servant. They will be destroyed. Yeah. And that is just, that is a scar. That's the club foot. It is. That just becomes a scar on the whole thing. Yeah, it's because like, really? This yeah, is, that this just makes your, no sense. This is your motivation, huh, Dracula? Exactly. And you can't, I'm like, for me, I can never quite get past it because it's so unnecessary. I mean, for, so first of all, I mean, obviously the problem is... Wasn't it the plan to have someone taste the blood of Dracula and then Dracula can be resurrected? I mean, wasn't that yeah. isn't that desirable? Yeah. Didn't didn't Courtly have to die so you could come back? So why do you want revenge for that? Secondly, even if that's not the case, what have we ever seen from Dracula before this or after this in a Hammer movie that would lead us to believe that revenge for the death of his servant is something that would cross his mind? It, for, it's beneath him. Yeah, at all. It's yeah. just there's, it makes no sense, right? That he would yeah. do that. And the worst part about it, like I said, is it's so unnecessary because if you just don't have him say that, yeah, if you don't have him say anything and the rest of the movie plays out exactly the way it did, if you think about it, his first victim and the first other character that Dracula has direct interaction with is Hargood's uh, daughter played by, played by Linda Hayden. Who, who's the young, you know, who's the yes, young female is. lead in, in this film. She's, <laughs> she's our ingenue, if you will. Yes. So his first victim is Linda, or the first, you know, uh, other character he approaches is Linda Hayden. Everything that plays out from there could be seen, even if you never explain it, as sort of extending from that moment. That's his yeah. object of desire. Yeah. And he goes after her father, and then he ends up going after the other her ones friend. because they, her friend, and because because a friend is hot too. That's right. And then the the friend's father is one of the three, and so they get involved. Everything plays out the same it way. It does, it does. Without the confusion of his motivation. But then, see, re-watching it for the podcast, I had another thought. Yeah. Right? How cool would it be? Because cause here's what I thought. If he said nothing, Yeah. and he went after the, the three, Uh-huh. Let's say I'm wrong and it doesn't read as everything is an extension of his pursuit of the two young women, which yeah. it probably would. But let's say it didn't. Mm -hmm. What might you think? You might think, is there still some courtly in there? Is that why he's going after them? Yeah. And then I started thinking, how cool would it be if they actually played it that way? If there yeah. was some, like if Dracula is reborn, but there's still some confusion like about kind of how much of it is him and how much yeah. of it is courtly still. They could have done that. That would have been interesting. That would have been very and interesting. And you would, as far as the action beats, everything else could have been exactly mm -hmm. the same. You could have done it with quick little bit, quick little throwaway lines, just like you did the other stupid thing. Yeah. So. No, that would have been interesting. Yeah. That would have been a, a really interesting because we would have kept a little closer to the original script idea, too. It would have taken a little more on Lee to maybe some mannerisms to sell the courtly part of it. Yeah. But it would have made the film a hell, like you said, a hell of a lot more interesting. Still enjoyable, though it is, as much as we're pointing at the flaws. And so we still enjoy the film. It's still a fun film. No, well, yeah, again, but, to, to go back to, you wouldn't turn down a date with a pretty girl with a club foot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you just got to not think too hard about that club that's foot. Right. That's right. And you wouldn't turn down watching a Chris Lee Dracula. <laughs> still, though, yeah. It's still pretty. It's still pretty. Yeah. <laughs> And like you say, it's beautifully shot. I mean, what, uh, Peter Sansdy? Peter Sansdy, yeah. Sasdy, who did Countess Dracula, I think. And uh, Hands of the Ripper. Yeah. He's Hungarian, but I don't know if he's double-jointed. <laughs> and speaking of Ripper, we'll talk about him in a minute. <laughs> but, you know, and Countess Dracula, from what I remember, is beautifully shot also. 
and not a bad little movie. Flaws, though, it does have. Yeah, I like Hands of the Ripper better, actually. That, oh, did, yeah. see, I haven't seen that one yet. I need yeah. to see that one. Yeah, it's out on Blu-ray from uh, Synapse. Um, oh, okay. As is Countess Dracula. Yeah, I watched it for the first time in ages a couple years ago when it first came out on Blu-ray, and I quite liked it. That's you know, cool. I not, definitely have to check that out. Not earth-shatteringly good, but for a yeah. 70s hammer, it's uh, it's enjoyable. That's cool. I definitely yeah, have to see that. a solid cat. I mean, all his uh, stuff... Yeah, yeah, there's no, yeah. I can't say anything bad about the direction in this. No. It's just like the biggest thing is the that that point, like you said, that line, because of the script change, Yeah, kind of makes the rest of it not make much sense as far as the motivation of what he's doing. But the execution of what he actually does and the way it's shot and everything is it's a joy to watch. The sets are beautiful. Yeah. You know, and, and the acting is solid from everybody in the film. Yeah. Uh, going back to John Carson, he's probably my second favorite Hammer guy. It's set lower tier. I mean, of course, Peter Cushion, Christopher Lee, boom. Then there's the Ripper, <laughs> which we'll talk about in a minute, and and Carson, who I've come to appreciate over the last ten years or so a lot more than I ever did before. Yeah, by rewatching a lot of this stuff, and um, of course, he's the the good gentle doctor in Kronos mm-hmm. and Kronos' friend, and he plays. You buy it. You buy his character from the get-go. He doesn't waver at all. He's the same character the whole way through. You buy it, totally. And then in Plague of the Zombies, totally different type of character. Yeah. He's more of a upper-crust, snotty... Which he does quite well. But, and he does it great. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he does totally different characters, and boom, he sells either one of them. You wouldn't think it's the same guy. Yeah. And in this, it's a different take of... He's not the gentle doctor, but he's kind of a nebbishy kind of, he's still a well-to-do guy, but he's not snotty. He's not thinking he's above everybody. He's yeah. a, a, a nice guy, but he acts his station. Well, he ends up being our de facto Peter Cushing in this. Pretty much. and Or at least our de facto Van Helsing in this. Now, his de facto Van Helsing doesn't end up being very... Effective. Effective. <laughs> But uh, somebody's got to be there to to know about vampire lore and how to dispatch vampires and to sort of, you know, call upon the moral strength of the of the other surviving Uh characters that have to fight Dracula at the end or whatever. So he fulfills that role, even if he doesn't get to to dispatch any vampires himself. Uh, What I like about his role here as, again, the de facto Van Helsing or whatever, is that there's subtle and, and, well, you know, or at least small, if Mm -hmm. not necessarily subtle signals throughout the picture that he's of the trio of hellfire club guys the one most likely to like do the right thing and be a good guy yeah because hargood's just a complete asshole and then you get that that scene between hargood and his daughter linda hayden where oh, you know, yeah. he's drunk and he's got the riding crop and he's all but wanting to rape her i mean you can yeah. tell it's really awful right yeah it's and uncomfortable. Uh, and, uh, you know, Salas's character is just, just a wimp, the weaselly type. <laughs> He's the weaselly type. Yeah. But, but Carson, his character gives you little signals all the way through. He's the one that sort of tosses a coin to the street urchins instead of shoving them aside. You know, he's the one that sort of laugh. If I remember correctly, he's the one that sort of laughs at Ralph Bates's antics instead of getting all pissed off or yeah. whatever. And, uh, just seems to be a better, better tempered, better humored Good-natured person. Guy. You, you see him in his library being kind of bookish and yeah. whatnot, which, you know, is sort of the small explanation that we get as to how it is that he understands vampire lore in the first place. Cause obviously There's a he's lot, a, he's of, a bookish guy, yeah, a lot of shorthand 
yeah. to sell his character to us yeah. that works yeah. without beating you over the head and spoon feeding you, telling yeah. you who he is supposed yeah. to be. Yeah. That's a lot that's missing in a lot of films today. Yeah. Well, how much of that is Carson and how much of that is Sazdy is, of course, we don't know, but yeah. you know, somewhere between the two, it's well done. And that goes back to what I was talking about earlier. The the and, and this I think you have to give to Sazdy is the sequence at the church at the beginning, this where you're establishing all of your principles, yeah. establishing a different families and their interactions yeah. and whatnot in a very natural and very vi- visual way without a whole lot of exposition yeah. or, or whatever. So. Which talking about this these two things that we're talking about right now could pretty much be a textbook how to f- make a film <laughs> and and so far as how to establish characters. Yeah. In a short amount of time, and and how to tell the story of who this person is supposed to be, yeah. without having to do a flashback, yeah. or having somebody say, "Well, you know, so and so is a is this that and the other thing." He also likes books, but he's good to people. Yeah, but he yeah. likes to without spoon feeding you that it tells you all of that in seconds. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's. You know, I would I would I would amend that only to say textbook on on how to do what you just said in film and especially in an adventure story yeah right so i think that's not to digress not to go off on too big of a tangent but i think that's one of the things you know i, I often say that adventure fiction almost doesn't exist anymore really yeah. because you always have to be more concerned about someone's familial relationship and their romances and their you know mm-hmm. sort of inner angst than you are about yeah. getting on with the adventure and you know too much soap opera is antithetical to adventure which is kind we, of what the superhero movies have become we yeah we you know we live in a time where soap opera is considered strong characterization yeah. and there's you know and if you don't have soap opera then you don't have strong characterization two things don't seem to be understood you can have characterization through action uh-huh. like you can understand who someone is through small things and also their choices that they make in a, yeah. in, in a scenario yeah and and also that that what i just said is essential to adventure fiction where yeah. oh yeah what is happening and the you know we're in an exotic land or we're on an alien world or we're dealing with a, a high tension high stakes action scenario or whatever your adventure setup is uh-huh. where you don't have a lot of time or shouldn't take a lot of time to have a lot of soap opera yeah. but you can still communicate sort of the core of who a character is in a shorthand way particularly yeah. visually particularly through small behaviors particularly through choices mm-hmm. and choices under duress right like when there's fucking vampires and you got to decide <laughs> am i going to be the weasley guy yeah. and get myself killed or am i going to be john carson and try to get everybody to rally against uh dracula yeah you know? no you're exact 100 percent right that's it there's so much of that in this that doesn't you probably wouldn't notice the first time around consciously if you're not paying attention but it sells you and tells you everything you need to know. Yeah. Is masterfully done. Yeah. Uh, another example would be Linda Hayden and uh, Jeffrey Keene, mm-hmm. Hargood and his yeah. daughter, where I talked about the scene between the two of them where he's threatening her with a riding crop and, and you know, it, there's a sexual undercurrent to it and it's really creepy. The idea that Hargood is someone who would potentially be capable of sexually assaulting his daughter, the idea that it's quite possible it might have already happened. Yeah. You feel that, and it has the effect it needs to have. It turns your stomach and creeps you out with only the screen time that it gets. But Mm -hmm. if they were to make this movie today, the whole damn movie would be about how she's sexually abused. And it would have a flashback 
spoon feeding you see yeah. here's what they did and, and that's okay you can make that movie about how she's sexually abused but you can't make an adventure movie about how no. she's sexually uh-uh. abused you just can't it doesn't work you no know? so now sidestepping on talked about carson gotta talk about ripper <laughs> michael ripper the the go-to hammer guy when you need you need somebody in there for some a little bit solid bit boom ripper's there he's almost like comic relief in this his character as the police inspector, but it's so subtle and dry. It doesn't really register as comic relief. The one line that sticks out that made me really think of this last night is where it's the second time you see him where he's in Carson's study. Carson's already died. And the son of the other guy, the Weasley guy, I think who was dating, who was seeing Linda Hayden. He's there and Ripper says, well, you know, since this note was addressed to you, I thought you might want to see it. And it's, he's reads the note and blah, 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 blah. And the kid says something about, well, aren't you looking for this? I know it's not, I know his son couldn't have done it. They didn't have, cause they suspect the son cause the son did kill him, but he was possessed by Dracula. But Ripper says, well, that's an old story. You know, the rebellious son doesn't agree with the father, blah, 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 and kills him and runs off. It says he wouldn't do that. They had a great relationship. And then Ripper says, uh, uh, did you come here to tell me how to do my job? Blah, 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 blah. And he says, no, I came here because you asked me to. <laughs> and then Ripper's like, oh, well, okay, yeah, right. Anyway, so I got to go. Bye-bye. <laughs> and it's all, all that. So, oh, well, what's all this then? You know, that that typical British guy. And it's just that little funny moment. Like, oh, yeah, well, okay. Never mind. I'll go. And it's funny, but it's not farcical or comical. Yeah. And if you're not really paying attention, I guess it's not funny. But it's the bum. He's playing the bumbling cop in a way. Yeah, the Ripper. The the script probably said Ripper enters, does Ripper stuff, Ripper exits. <laughs> probably, yeah. Another thing. I mean, that's another example to me of this is textbook, or it should be textbook. It's not textbook, but it should be because it's so subtle on how to introduce a little comic relief yeah. to lighten the mood without turning it into a yeah. funny joke. Tone control. Yeah, exact tone control. Exactly. It lines it for a second, but it doesn't make you go, ha, 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 that was funny. Yeah. And as much as we love Ripper, I actually think you do have to give that to Sazdy because Ripper's quite, quite capable and willing to push it a bit over the top oh, for yeah. the comedy. But I'm sure Sazdy sort of kept the tone control. So Yeah, and it's fantastic. I mean, and I don't think I even really noticed that as much in previous viewings. And I want to say his first appearance, which I, I'm totally spacing on right now in this film, had another little line like that where he was is showing that he's you know probably not the brightest cop on the beat you know um to to kind of bring you down from the intensity of the film a little bit lighten it up before it goes back up again you know like you're saying in action movies action adventure movies or adventure movie whatever horror movies i think they make a mistake and a lot of them for going for that tone break and the joke to and making it too funny to stop the action dead where this one just kind of we're going to slow down before we speed back up again, you know, and it's so subtle that it doesn't take away from the tone of the film, yeah. you know, but it's there to just kind of catch a breath and here we go again. That's the way you do it. Oh, that's the way it should be done. I think it's much more effective and doesn't put a speed bump in the film. I'm going to have to go back and watch this again now, I think, <laughs> because the more after seeing it again recently and the more we, we're talking about these things in it, it's making me see that there's a lot more to this 
and I don't think it gets the credit it deserves. No, it it is a good movie, and it is like at least in Hammer fan circles, it it has more defenders I think than the detractors. Um, it's it's well liked. Yeah, and it should be. There's a couple of major flaws, both of which have to do with uh, the swap out from Bates to Lee that you have to address because well, you know yeah, if if, if we thing. if we were to because they're striking and you can't get past them no. and if we were to recommend this movie which we do without talking about them oh yeah then you know it it would be like a train wreck people watching it and being like what the hell for the first time <laughs> yeah. you know yeah but in spite in spite of like so that little the the script change and that one line uh in spite of that it's a solid film the whole way through yeah well, even though, like I said, the first third or whatever is the most enjoyable, yeah. I think. Most interesting. Let's say the most interesting. And then it slows down a little bit for the last, oh, maybe half. The la- the first half. And the last half, it kind of slows down a little bit. Yeah. And and you get kind of what you expect yeah. from a Christopher Lee, a typical Christopher Lee drag. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. But, you know, it's... I just I agree with that. I just wouldn't characterize it, as, it, it characterize it as it has that one problem from the change. I would characterize yeah. it as it has a few problems, but they all extend from the okay. change, except for one maybe, which oh. we'll get to eventually. We'll get to that eventually. Okay. But okay. Uh, uh, but you know, it's not. But like I said, you know, Lee is fun to watch in it. More or less, uh, he certainly looks good in the in oh, the yeah. role. And there's some, and there's some striking sequences, like when he hypnotizes Linda Hayden and she takes out her father. Oh yeah, that's a great sequence. That you is know, fantastic. Now, and she hits him with the shovel. And yeah. All, oh, and then the look on her face and the whole thing. Yeah. It's a really good sequence. And you know, the first. Yeah. yeah oh. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> the countdown line. So let's talk about that. <laughs> so he's got three guys. He's got to take his revenge on, right? Uh huh. So he takes out the first one by ha- by hypnotizing his daughter and having her do it. Yeah. Which is cool because, it, you know, this was the potentially abused and, mm-hmm. and certainly mistreated. He had it coming. Daughter. And, and you know, so th- there's a there's a and this happens shortly after the scene where there's the, the sexual threat that we talked yeah. about. So there's a there's a release for the audience and and having her dispatch him even at the same time where it's there's some horror to it because of uh uh the way it happens and the way it's shot and the look on her face when she's doing all these things are are you know not stand up and cheer moments yeah. at the same time however there is this sort of built-in tension release to having her dispatch him and thereby in the and almost makes dracula the, the good guy in the threat for a minute anyway <laughs> yeah. in the threat to her and then when she does it, and the first of his three intended victims yeah. are dead, he says, as, as you quoted, the first. <laughs> now, the first time I'm watching this movie many years ago, and he says, the first. I was like, really? Okay, well, all right. I mean, okay. <laughs> and it's not so bad because, you know, the first has, you know, the first has some weight to it. Yeah. You know, it's the beginning of something, the genesis. Yeah. I mean, you, when you just say the words, the first, it has some power. To yeah. It. So, all right, fine. <laughs> but then when Salas gets it and he says, the second, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, he's going to commit to the bit. <laughs> he's going to keep doing it. Two down, one to go. You can, you can get away with the first because it has that gravity. 
uh, the second. Oh no, 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 no. We're at halftime now, folks. Not good. <laughs> Not good. That's just silly. That is silly. Do you remember who the writer was on this? Um, the script? I don't actually. Okay, have to I can't recall. Up. Of course, and then at the end, you know, well, not the end, but then after the third one, doesn't he say? Doesn't he actually say the third? Yes, he does. He commits to the bit. That's what, I, that's, what, that's what I'm talking about. And the movie should have ended right there. I mean, what's what's left then? It's over. Written um, by Anthony Hines. Oh, Anthony Hines. Okay. Yeah. 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 Going back to the, all the other actors in it for a second, though. Everybody else is good. Is is not just tolerable. Yeah. They're just they're fine like you know cast wise oh it's a good cast yeah the the adult children all yeah. of them are solid <laughs> yeah the one chick's at least 30 but hey she's uh well you she, know she, she's a good looking 30 well you know i stayed home longer then <laughs> but yeah but she's she sells her bit yeah you know the whole time and i love that a bit where she doesn't know that linda hayden's character is a vampire well she's is she a vampire yet or is she just possessed she doesn't become a full vampire okay but she doesn't know that she's under Dracula's control or anything, but she does show up at that funeral. Yeah. Just like in a lot of the other ones when they are dead. What are you doing back? You know, but the friend sells it at like, hey, I missed you. Oh, OK. And Linda Hayden says, meet me such and such later. And she says, OK, I'll meet you. You know, just like she's just her friend. And it, OK, I don't care. I'll meet you there. It doesn't matter. You know, yeah. and she sells that whole bit. It's good and solid little bit. But Dracula didn't keep her very long. No. <laughs> I like, uh, I was going to talk about Linda Hayden, but you talking about Dracula doesn't keep her around yeah. very long. The friend whose name, both the character and uh, actor's name are escaping me. Yeah, he kind of disheart- discards her pretty quick. Lucy, Lucy, Lucy. Paxton, played okay. by Isla Blair, which okay. is, what's his name, Julian Glover's wife, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. Huh. So, Mrs. Julian Glover. Yeah. Not bad. No. So, anyway. They do that thing with her where he bites her a couple times to like mm-hmm. keep her under his power. And, and when she he does, does become a vampire though. Yeah. Yeah. And uh when he's biting her, it's pleasurable. Yeah. And she, and he and she's, you know, making uh mild orgasm faces basically. Yeah. And then uh when he bites her the last time He drains her. It hurts. Yeah. And he kills her. Yeah. So the way it's presented, it seems as though he can make it hurt or he can make it pleasurable. As he chooses. Yeah. You know, which is... he's Dracula. Uh, hey. Yeah, yeah. What you gonna do? I'm Dracula. No, it's, inter- it's an interesting idea. Yeah. You know, that, that that it's basically like sex yeah. when he's, you know, trying to keep her under his power until he's ready to dispatch her, in which case, because he's a sadist, he yeah. goes ahead and lets it hurt. You well, know? that was the whole thing with the Chris Lee Dracula, is selling the, the sexual Dracula. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, Lugosi and any vampires that came before... Had that kind of that, but it was very mild, low key aspect. It wasn't really played up until Christopher Lee came as Dracula being a sexual being, you know, and the and the desire of the women to be under his thrall, yeah. more or less. So that plays it just plays it further and gives more more weight or more aspects to it in that bit, and it's done well. You know, like I say, it's it's, it's really gives a kind of a twofold uh, aspect to what Dracula is doing to her there. Yeah, but. I like. I was just thinking when you're talking, they're talking about her. I love the the whole bit where Carson and I forget the guy's name, the Weasley guy, uh, Salas, Salas, where they go back. Who's, who's Paxton? That's uh, Paxton, Lucy's Paxton, that's Lucy's right. father. Yeah. Where they go looking for her in the crypt or the the abandoned church, and they find her in the the coffin. And Carson is telling she's one of the undead now. We've got a. He's telling her, telling Paxton everything he needs to know about vampires. You know, they see the marks. She's undead. We must kill her now. And of course, Paxton's freaking out and crying. And 
he gets the stake and he's he's holding the stake and gives Paxton the rock. Let's do it now. And Paxton's like, no, no, no. Pulls a gun and shoots Carson in the arm and says, get away, get away. You know, and Carson runs. And uh, it's a nice little scene, a freak out scene for Paxton. Yeah. It's a play on the scene between um, Michael Goff and uh, Peter Cushing. It, in yeah, exactly. Horror exactly. Dracula. Yeah. And the passage of time is kind of weird here because, it's, like I said, it's day for night. So it's hard to tell when it is night. <laughs> yeah, there is there is some some pretty poor um, yeah. uh, day for night location stuff in this picture. But there's also some really nicely done studio stuff. Oh yeah, as well, especially um, at, outside of yeah. And we're gonna Linda, we're gonna Linda Hayden's. Yeah, room. for sure. Yeah, we're and we're gonna unfortunately trade some of that nice looking studio stuff for a lot more outdoor day for night. Uh, <laughs> As the Hammer movies roll on oh, into yeah. the seventies, but but this particular scene where they're in the in the crypt there, and of course Carson's gone and passed out outside, and Paxton is sitting there crying over his daughter's coffin, more or less, right there, and she's dead, and he halfway composes himself and then realizes he what he has to do, and he goes and gets the big stake and he puts it up to her her chest and he's getting ready to stake her, and her eyes open, and he's like ah, and he freaks out. That's almost a little jump scare there. Yeah. And it was, it was nicely done. Set up, because you're not expecting her to wake up at all at this point. And she does, and then Dracula appears, and then Linda Hayden comes back, and they chase Paxton in the crypt, and they then they stake him. Yeah. And that was a good solid little bit, right? That whole scene. Yeah, the lead up to that boom, bit. Boom, boom. Uh, nice. The lead up to done. that bit with uh, Paxton and Secker approaching the crypt. Yeah. Some really nice, you know, gothic atmosphere yeah. in that setup too. Yeah, so. and it's it's some in, a little intensity, a little suspense, and yeah, you know, and you're not sure what's going to happen, and then they show them stake him. Yeah, it's like whoa, <laughs> you know, a lot of hammer blood, nice red, bright red blood. <laughs> it was well done. Uh, no, oh, another thing I was going to say earlier though, the scene going back to the beginning where they're in the brothel. There, this is I think one of the first hammer films where you get a little glimpse of nudity. Yeah, I uh, I believe it is the first. I I made an. I think it's the first of the horror pictures. Yeah, with real nudity in it. Even though it's just. Little I think there's there's glimpses of side boobs. I think there's not one of the non horror Hammer movies from a little earlier than this is yeah. actually the. I don't, I don't remember which one. One of the adventure films or something like that is actually Moon the first two. one. Huh, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Moon Zero. No, two. <laughs> not Moon Zero Two. I could be wrong about that, yeah. but I, but I think this is the uh, the first. I did. I, I meant to actually. I, I made a note to look that up yeah. and confirm it. But I, but I forgot to look it up and confirm it. So. And it's in the brothel, and just a couple of you get a couple of side boobs, and I think a couple of like one like a dead on quick shot of one of the prostitutes, and that's it. It doesn't linger. No, and we're not there yet. No, we're not there but, yet. But we'll get there. But it's eye catching because you're like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. In in this setting, now Sazdi goes on to Countess Dracula, which was a, what a year or two later. Two years, I think. Two years later. And then we're into it, then. yeah. Because then you have Ingrid Pitt. Well, we're that. into it before then, yeah. Because vampire. Well, I'm saying you're already into it because we're then. almost to vampire lovers at this point, yeah. And uh, and then we're like, okay, here it is. This is what we're we're doing now. Which we could talk about Ingrid Pitt and her chest a whole podcast. Well, but <laughs> you know, you and we should. I was gonna say we should share. No, we actually shouldn't share. But I'm going to anyway. Go right. That uh, I'm going to share anyway. That that you had suggested for this podcast that we might want to talk about yeah the vampire lovers and uh in the spirit of keeping it real <laughs> i said well we can do that but it's liable to turn into 60 minutes of talking about boobs 
Yeah. And I don't have any objections to 60 Minutes talking about And I don't either. God knows. But let's be real about what you're likely to get for a podcast out of that. Yeah. Because (laughs) Ingrid Pitt, by herself, is 60 Minutes conversation uh, worthy. Yes. But on the whole... That movie is like one of the finest collections of breasts known to oh. cinema. That's well, I'll that's, drink, I'll that's, drink to that. that's not a Russ Meyer film because you yeah. know Russ Meyer film is on a completely different scale. That's but, a, yeah, that's a whole different a whole different sandwich right there. You got Ingrid Pitt, you got Madeline Smith, you got Kate O'Mara, Kate in there. O'Mara, yeah, who you don't see topless, but you see a lot of cleavage. Well, you know what Kate O'Mara gives you. Aside from Kato Mora, which in and of itself is awesome. That's, that's, yeah. Variety. That's true. Variety. That's true. You got to have variety. You do. You do. I got to say, it was, it was a, I forgot that Madeline Smith was at the beginning of this. Yeah. And it was really a nice little surprise. Hey, that's Madeline Smith. And then <laughs> she's gone. But uh, it was nice to see her. <laughs> uh, but Lin- Linda Hayden is no slouch. No, I like Linda Hayden. I feel like the, and I don't just mean, you know, in the, in the hubba hubba way. I mean, I, I like Linda Hayden generally, but I, I feel like the, the hairstyles when her hair's all up in curls and the, the, the gowns and whatnot in this film are unflattering to her a lot of the oh, time. Yeah. It's like whenever she lets her, whenever she gets to let her hair down and uh-huh. be sort of the feral, like literally let her hair down yeah. and be the, the feral Linda Hayden. It's like, Oh, there she is. Yeah. You know, and maybe I'm just sort of spoiled by the Blood on Satan's Claw, which is, have you seen that one? No, I need okay. to see that. Well, you know the little glimpses you get of Hayden in this one where she's under Dracula's influence and uh-huh. she's acting all evil and minxy? Yeah. The whole thing. Wow. Yeah. So. Oh, I'm in. That's what I'm saying. I'm in. I'm in for that. Also. We'll have to watch that. Yeah. Well, we'll have to watch that. That might be a good one to talk about then. No, no, I would definitely be. That's yeah. a good, that's a good movie. You have that, don't you? Oh, yeah. Of course you do. <laughs> well, we'll have to watch that one one night and, uh, and then do a podcast on that. Now, I do want to see Hands of the Ripper, too. Yeah. That's one I've heard about for 100 years. And I just have not gotten around to seeing. Linda Hayden, real quick. She was in a couple of those Confessions movies, too, wasn't she? Confessions of a Window Cleaner. Yeah, I mean, she's basically known of a something else, for two horror comedies. movies and a bunch of sex comedies. Okay, so. okay. That's, I thought so, yeah. yeah. Overall, though, in your enjoyment of, of say, Hammer films being your top favorite, two or three, and then your least favorite couple of three, where would you put this one? Closer to the top or closer to the bottom? Um, Closer to the, not not in the top, no, but, but, no. Cl- but closer to the top than the bottom. Yeah. For me, you, you really have to rate the post-classic period stuff separately from the classic period stuff. Yeah, okay, I'll give you that. Yeah, definitely. Because the, the, whole, the whole Fisher, Asher, Sangster, era i don't know that i would put this movie over any of them no you know even the lesser ones but if you put it on the scale with all of the other post classical period hammers it's pretty high on the list yeah Yeah, it's it's pretty good well it's it's got from you know the stuff that we've talked about here that we've kind of re-learned from re-watching it is stuff these different points is stuff that i would go back and watch again to see these points to consciously acknowledge them Again, you know, to be like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I get what we were talking about a little better now, or, or, and again, like I say, textbook things to look for to make a film. It has a lot of those little things in it, where it may not be balls to the wall, like horror of Dracula, you know, just a good, enjoyable, you know, it's a boom horror Dracula movie, or 
Curse of Frankenstein for different reasons. It's a solid film, and it's got a lot of these little things that I think often go overlooked when other people are talking about it. Well, you know, well, you know so yeah, I agree. So like I said, I wouldn't put it on the, the uh, same scale as you know Dracula, a.k.a. horror yeah. Dracula, but if you think about it, nothing really can be that. No, because no, no, no. One of the joys of that movie, talking about Dracula 58, is yeah. here's a whole new way of doing Dracula. Yeah. With energy and verve and just a whole different approach to the story that's a fun twist. And, and yeah. you know, it, you can't do that trick again necessarily. And even even having seen it more times than I can count, when I return to it, uh-huh. you know, it's still fun. Yeah. That reveal when you realize... That Harker's not the hapless victim; that he's there as an agent of Har- of of Van Helsing yeah. to take out Dracula. That's still a thrill, you know. Yeah. When you realize that there, there's something different happening here, just yeah. of course the the beautiful look of it and just everything oh, that it God, has yeah, going for it that we don't have to talk about necessarily. Now, to be fair, you can say that this movie is also a different way of doing Dracula. Mm-hmm. Not all of it works, and it would have worked better if it had not been Dracula at all. Yeah. But you can still give it credit for being different, a different take on it, a different approach, being concerned with different things. Yeah. And and handling those different things it's concerned with very well when we talk about the... You know, the Victorian hypocrisy elements and all that kind of stuff and the, the sexual uh, undercurrents and all those things. So so that it, it certainly deserves credit for that. When you compare it to something like uh, its immediate predecessor, for example, which is mm-hmm. uh, Dracula Has Risen from the Grave, which is an enjoyable film. Yeah. You know, it's not oh, bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. thoroughly enjoyable. And it still has that fairy tale approach. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean, that that, I exactly that a lot of the mean. early yeah. hammers have, yeah, can't do it as well as they do, because it's no longer being made under the circumstances that those films it is akin to, yeah. were made with the same crew and the same resources oh, yeah. uh-huh. and the same ideas, and so it ends up being sort of more of the same but less than what came before. Yeah, you can't pin that on this one. It's no, different. It is. It's completely different. Now, and speaking of different. We were talking earlier how they were going to groom Ralph Bates to kind of take over for Christopher Lee. In the same way, they were, we had talked on a previous episode about they were going trying to groom Shane Bryant to take over for Peter Cushing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How cool would that have been yeah. to see the next film, if they would have gone the original script design, Bates against Shane Bryant? Yeah. Bryant being the Van Helsing type character, yeah. if he wasn't a Van Helsing. Yeah. And then, of course, Lord Courtley isn't a good vampire name, but <laughs> yeah. But Ralph Bates the, is the Dracula vampire against Shane Bryant. Yeah, and that would have been pretty cool because Shane Bryant does a good Peter Cushing without doing Peter Cushing. No, I agree. But both of those, I mean, Bates's Hamishness, and I don't mind Hamishness as as a general rule. Bates's Bates's Hamishness doesn't always quite sit well with me depends on the situation the scene the character but by and large both of those guys are entirely likable presences yeah that, they've that, got personality yeah, they've got yeah. charisma on screen camera likes both of them i had the thought when i was thinking about bates being sort of cast in these roles <laughs> it's funny because to me he's almost more of a colin clive than a peter cushing oh yeah 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 bates oh yeah definitely definitely well that's when i said chewing the scenery yeah i mean immediately it comes to you know Colin Clive comes to mind. Yeah. And he definitely he is. Definitely more of a Colin Clive. 
practice because I think his over the topness and then Shane Bryant more subdued. I think I don't know if it would have roped Bates in a little bit, you know, or it would have been a nice counter, nice contrast. Yeah, I think it. The more the more you talk about it, the yeah. more I can see it. Yeah, and, and I, I I think that would have been I would have liked to have seen that for sure. That would have been awesome. Yeah, that's a damn shame they didn't go that route. Though on the other hand, I'm glad we got more Peter Cushion and Christopher Lee on film to look at. Yeah. Regardless of good, bad, indifferent. Yeah, you know, it's like Peter Cushing said in an interview, he said he would play Baron Frankenstein or Von Helsing in a wheelchair if people still wanted to see him do it. Yeah. And God bless him for that because we want to see him do it. You know? Well, make no mistake. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, Christopher Lee kept coming back to play Dracula even after he said he wouldn't. And he's always striking in the role. But at the same time... Oh, yeah. If if the stories are to be believed, this, the films do suffer to some extent from his lack of enthusiasm for them. Oh, yeah. You know, where he would insist on having fewer lines, for example. Oh, yeah. If they could have gone on and made a couple films, or at least one, <laughs> with Shane Bryant and Ralph Bates, that would have been really interesting to see. And if they would have been successful with the audience yeah. as the previous films with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. I mean, I think they both had enough presence and charisma to carry it. And I want to think that they would have been as, as successful and they would have kept on making some more. Because at the time, even though Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing were beloved actors, there wasn't the hindsight or cult following reverence that they have now back then well there was reverence in the sense that they had an audience that expected to see them which is yeah. what and wanted to see them which is what Cushing's comment about as long as the audience you know wants it I'll, yeah. I'll play these roles from a wheelchair that's where that comes from yeah. is because you know the audience wants it I mean the, the distributor wouldn't carry the film without Lee because Lee was the star they figured the public wanted to yeah. see so I mean I, I, I get your point but at the same I time think- it's it's probably truer to say they have a cult now, but they had just more of an audience then. Oh, well, it's not, yeah. the, it's not okay. the same thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think they, I think they could have made those movies with the change. Yeah. And these two guys, and could have made some success. Maybe what but, you were trying to say, and I didn't understand you, was um, they had an audience then, but they didn't have such a dedicated cult that they could survive the movies being bad. Is that what you meant? Um, more, uh, yeah, sorta. Because sorta, that would be yeah. true. I right, think because be they harder. did have an audience that loved them, but it didn't save yeah. shitty movies like like Satanic Rites from bombing, you know. Well, that and I don't think it would have hurt to have somebody else take over. Like, I think Ralph Bates and Shane Bryant had enough of a charisma presence where they could have sold a couple of movies. Well, the material would with, have had to have without been people going. Well, that's not Christopher Lee. Well, they could have sold it in the sense that people would have enjoyed watching them. Yeah. But their material would have had to have been there. It would have had to be. You, been you, you couldn't yeah. have given them. You couldn't have given them a horror of Frankenstein or a lust for a vampire, and, and have it have turned out any better than those movies with Ralph Bates actually did turn out because they're not good movies. No, that's true. That's but if true. you if you give them something, you know, reasonably, yeah. if you give them at least a Twins of Evil to work oh, yeah. to work with, yeah, yeah, then I, then I can yeah. see it. Or even this one, um, Taste the Blood. Oh, for sure, this one. Yeah, something like that. I think it would have done well. I would love to have seen it. I mean, it's a shame that yeah. either one of them didn't do any, get to do any more. But you know, hey, we got we have what we have, and it's it's more or less good stuff. Are we ready to talk about the ending now? Let's talk about the ending. What the hell is up with that ending? You know, I forgot. <laughs> I had forgotten that's how it ended, and I'm sitting there watching it. This was just last night. I'm sitting there watching it. I'm sitting there by myself, going, "What? 
<laughs> okay, first, okay, what's happened? Why is he hallucinating? And then he dies, but he, he he doesn't die. He's not killed in any way, not just Dracula, but any vampire in history has ever died. He fell and he couldn't get up. Yeah. Nothing killed him. No. I mean, they're immortal. They don't die from, you know, he didn't get staked. He didn't get holy water on him. There was no cross involved. There was no sunlight involved. He didn't. He just fell off a ledge and hit a slab of concrete and died in disintegration. So whoever he bit last had been had been high on mushrooms. <laughs> and it took a while for the mushroom tainted blood to kick in. And then when it kicked in, he started tripping. <laughs> and he's having intense hallucinations. And he thinks he's in a church. And just thinking he's in a church. What? He was in a church, but it was like he had hallucinations. It was brand new. It wasn't abandoned. It was like crisp and clean and like it was new and there was a choir singing and everything. And yeah. Everything was shiny and daylight and it it wasn't. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, so. Uh... And then he fell. Boom. Laid there on that slab and slowly disintegrated. Yeah. His clothes disintegrated, but his cape didn't. Yeah. Well, he's got an indestructible cape <laughs> like Superman. It's his Transylvanian cape. Oh, okay. Well, that explains it. It can't disintegrate under a yellow sun. I'm going to stop now. They left the cape, the cape clasp, but it says Dracula on it. The ring. I guess it's disintegrated ashes into the blood. In case they want to do another movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, yeah, I don't know what the hell's supposed to be. Like, I've had different ideas about what was supposed to be happening in that scene over yeah. the years. Like, at one point, my memory tricked me into thinking that there's a church on the other side of the stained glass. And when he breaks through the stained glass, he sees there's a church on the other side and that kills him. But even that's stupid. But that's not even what happens because no. he never leaves. No, because he, he breaks the stained glass. He turns around and looks. Yeah, he looks back to the crypt. Yeah. And it's and it's uh, it's the, still the same crypt. Yeah. But he's seeing a church. No, it's a church. It's not a crypt. It's a church. But it or, has. Or a chapel. Like maybe it's like the courtly family chapel. Yeah, because whatever. it has pews and it has an altar. Yeah. It just has a couple of. Because I've been in I've been in some churches in Europe that do have sarcophagus like yeah. that in them. Oh, okay. That have like knights or something buried like in the floor. Oh, okay. Or have crypts in the church. Okay. Some important people. And this one only I think has like just two or three that you see. Yeah. And then it has the church pews because it has the altar where he had the black baphomet tapestry up there and the black candles. Yeah. And then what's his name? The young pulls guy, those down, pulls that down. Yeah. And there's the church tapestry. See, yeah. Behind, see, Kim, Kim so. pointed that out. And I forgot. I always forget that Kim yeah. pointed out that the guy goes around and, and pulls down the, the devil stuff. Yeah. But she also said, but if that's what did it, because so let's say the, the guy pulled down the devil stuff and that, you know, the reverse of, uh, of deconsecrates it. Right. You know, if that's, if that's what it was that killed Dracula, why the hell did it take so long? Yeah. It's almost like once he notices it happened. Yeah. That's when it kills him. Yeah. Not just because he's in a church that's no longer yeah. fouled by devil stuff. It doesn't matter how you cut it, it's confusing, it does not make sense, it's lame. You know, it's like they the writers got the point and went, uh, uh, I got nothing. Well, they, <laughs> they get to the point where they're clearly trying to come up with a new way to dispatch him every movie. Yeah. Okay, fine. But the stuff they come up with more often than not is terrible. Right. Like getting impaled on the giant cross in uh, Risen from the Grave. That works. That's that good. was cool. Falling through ice into the running water. Eh, I never liked that. No, nah. but it's not too egregious. It's all right. Yeah. You get frozen like cap. This is ridiculous and and confusing. Like you're not even sure what's supposed to be happening. Yeah. And it, it spoils the wagon things. Wheel. 
I was about spokes. to say, impaled on a wagon wheel. At least he got impaled through the heart by wood. It's an interesting visual, but it it's is. a silly idea. Yeah. And and my favorite, walking through thorns. Jesus. Oh, God, don't even. <laughs> but, but at least. I'm snagged on thorns, and now I'm dying. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> but this one, when he breaks well, his hey, neck, what? At least there's a setup for dying on thorns. As lame as it is. The setup is lame, the idea is lame, well, did, and the execution did, is lame. Didn't the sun come up, though, in that one? He got caught in the thorns and the sun came up. Isn't that what happened in that one? Maybe. I haven't watched that in ages. Okay. So. But this one, he fell, what, like not even a story. A story. Yeah. Well, what I'm saying, sun or no sun, and yeah. let, let's assume that you're correct because I probably just blocked it out because I okay. haven't sat through that movie in a long time. <laughs> and honestly, we watched that, that film print that you had, and... I watched an old VHS, but I've never seen anything yeah. better yeah. presentation-wise. So it might just be that it's hard to tell that the sun's supposed to be out on the prints <laughs> I've seen. I digress. But still, yeah. those thorns, as silly as it is, are established as a thing ahead of time. Yeah. And then he gets caught on them. It's still lame, but at least it's not confusing. This is lame and confusing. Yeah, because you're waiting. I mean, he falls and you're waiting for him to get up. And he doesn't <laughs> because he just fell. Yeah. He didn't, nothing, nothing struck him. <laughs> nothing religious. He didn't fall on a cross because just before that, he's against that stained glass and you hear it sitting and he backs away and you see there's a cross on the stained glass. Yeah. So, okay, that, but he just fell on a concrete slab. Yeah. It's just, it, yeah. I, I, uh, so, I so that when I, earlier when I said, there's one big flaw in the movie that's not necessarily an extension of the, the Bates to Lee change. Yeah. This is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Because I, I don't know that there's anything that you can, anything that explains it away there. You know, I think they just were trying to come up with something different and it didn't. But they didn't even come up with anything different. Yeah. I don't. He just fell. Maybe it made sense on paper. <laughs> yeah. If maybe, he'd fallen on something. <laughs> well, maybe there's something being communicated that they relied on the audience to be able to understand that we're just not able to understand because it wasn't, you know, didn't yeah. come across. I, I I don't know. Now, what was the movie immediately after this one? Which one? Do you remember? Dracula? Scars. Scars. Yeah. Okay. Wait a minute. When does, how does that one start off? Scars is, um, cause like I said, I keep getting that. I thought I was getting that confused with satanic rites. It's resurrected by Patrick Troughton's character, right? Blood sacrifice or whatever. Isn't that right? Ooh, that's been a while since I've seen that. Yeah. And that, but that's still in the the past, the fairy tale past, right? Because yeah. Satanic Rites is the one that bring tries to bring him to modern day. No, uh, AD. Oh, AD. Yeah, okay, AD does. But Satanic Rites is where he's like he's established as I'm Dracula the businessman. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I got it. No, right no, there. no. Or maybe no. Yeah, Dracula yeah. the businessman is Satanic Rites. Yeah, AD is where he's just he stays in the church the whole time. That's right. Yeah. So he's still, it's modern day, but it still kind of feels like the past Dracula. Oh, of course. Uh, okay, so no. Patrick Troughton is his henchman in Scars, but he's not the one that resurrects him with a blood sacrifice. That's uh, Prince of Darkness. and that's But it's not Patrick Troughton and Prince of Darkness. Yeah. Scars is the one where the vampire bat vomits blood on his remains to, uh, to resurrect him. Wow. Forgot about that. I have no recollection of this whatsoever. I know I've seen it. Okay, I gotta go back and watch that tonight. <laughs> Man. Okay. So anyway, so back to Taste the Blood of Dracula. <laughs> so we had to have a ritual and some blood drinking yeah. and a murder <laughs> and some revenge to resurrect him. 
this time, but next time. We ain't got time for that. We ain't got time for that no, shit. Just, <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. But, you know, okay, back again. We went off on other tangents, which is as we are wont to do, which is fine. But recommended for anybody to watch, yes. Of course, yeah. Yeah, check this one out. Definitely get your copy. It's easy to get. It's, I guess, still available on that, that DVD, which has the three other Draculas on it. I might have said this when we did Kronos. Yeah. But this really kicks off this movie, even though it is very good. It yeah. kicks off the period of Hammer. So it's pretty much from here to the end, really. Uh-huh. Where, by and large, it's like Star Trek Season 3. There's a lot of oh, good okay. stuff in it. Yeah. But you're gonna have to put up with some bullshit to yeah. get there. I think I did use the Star Trek three. I'm sorry, uh, season three analogy. Yeah, uh, that makes perfect sense for yeah. for Kronos, yeah. and it's the same thing. It's like everything from this point on almost is gonna be flawed in some serious way. Yeah. But it, uh, but several of them are still really good in spite of it. Yeah, you know, there's good so, stuff in there. Yeah, and this is one of them, and definitely recommend it. Like I said, it's 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 still available. I think it came out on Blu-ray not long ago, didn't it? Uh, yeah. One? yeah. So it's on Blu-ray. Check Amazon. It's also on a four-disc set that has Risen from the Grave, AD 72, and is it Prince of Darkness? Oh, I I know, but I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, which That's the bargain right there. That that disc is the bargain because you get four good Chris Lee Dragons. I get the Blu-ray because it, it's like you can get it for like 10 bucks now. Oh, oh, only 10 bucks? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, hell, get the Blu-ray. Yeah, it was only 15 yeah. when it was new. So Yeah. So get that then. But check it out. If you haven't seen it, it's worth a watch. And like, like we said, it's... Very flawed, but has lots of good points in it overall. So I think that's about it. I can't think of anything else to say about it. If you can, drop no, us a there's, line there's, there's a, on the Phantasmo After Dark Facebook page. You meaning the audience, not me. Yeah, uh, I'll get back to you in a minute. All right. And, <laughs> or the Phantasmo After Dark email is phantasmoad at gmail.com, phantasmoad, all one word. Or, you know, again, throw a comment on the Facebook page. I'll have a bunch of... Pictures up right after this is gone live, and uh, maybe a trailer for it too. But anyway, as you were saying, oh no, I was only going to say I uh, didn't get to mention Martin Jarvis, uh, even though he's barely in it. He's got a really small part, but I just really like Martin Jarvis, and uh, my Doctor Who people will know about no. Martin Jarvis. Uh, he Martin Jarvis uh, appears uh, several times. He's with three different Doctors across the series. Oh. A couple of uh, a Doctor Who alumni in this. Carson was in a. And of course, I'm talking about the real Doctor Who, not the <laughs> bullshit tween sitcom for girls that uh, yeah, that uh, they call Doctor Who now. But anyway, uh, oh, and let's let's throw uh, we got to throw a a shout out there, as the kids say, to Roy Kinnear. Yeah, who's at the very beginning of this? Who's yep. been in everything that's British? Yep, yep, yep. Farouk Assault's dad. Yeah, who's just <laughs> as great as his. He gets abused by Tarch Drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and there you go. I think that's we'll end on Tard Strength for this episode. <laughs> so that's about all we got to say. So Yeah, I got nothing left. Right on. Thanks for listening. Good night, everybody. Bye.